Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. Until I do these intros live, because every once in a while I have a stumble. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss from Struggle to Success. We're covering it all. So returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. You've heard my stumbles and these intros before, but please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Tell a friend about the pod. And for our new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy this show, and I hope you'll keep listening on with me. We have such a great guest this week. I'm so excited to introduce this woman. She has been not only great for me to learn about the gaming industry and higher ed, but just a wonderful person to talk to and to catch up with. And I've had the pleasure of doing that several times now. Um, she's just a great resource for all things higher ed and just a really great person in the gaming industry. Please welcome everyone, Danielle Rourke, the Senior Higher Education Strategist at Dell Technologies to Meta Woman. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for having me. I'm incredibly excited. Long time listener, first time person on the show. First time caller, isn't that the old radio thing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, to start, if you wouldn't mind just giving the audience a couple sentences of your background, let us know who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So uh, I am actually a senior higher education strategist with Dell Technologies. And um, prior to that, I've been here for about two years. Prior to that, I worked at the University of Colorado Boulder as an associate director in their IT department and never actually thought I would leave academia because uh, I did love it, but got this opportunity to be a part of this team. And the education strategy team at Dell is incredibly unique because we are all former educators, administrators within education. Um, somehow we've got those who are focused on K-12 that were former teachers, principals, superintendents, and those of us from high ed who were former CIOs, former CISOs, former academic learning technology directors. Um, we even have a, a PhD chemist and a librarian. So um, we cover a wide gamut of the education industry and we're able to bring all of those experiences together. We like to say that we each have our our own superpowers. And so combined, we're like this amazing Avengers team for education and technology. And so that was just too good of an opportunity for me to pass up. So that's why I came to Dell. Um, prior to Dell and CU Boulder, I was actually um, really just in software and application development my whole career, uh, being a tester, a project manager, a business analyst, a systems analyst. So um, I've, I've had a really cool career in tech. Um, um, and yeah, have really enjoyed it. That's so neat. I will say too, so we're going to get into this, um, to, pri to provide you all with some context, you all being listeners. Uh, Danielle runs both an excellent Discord server and a monthly research call that both center on presenting new research, particularly within education. Uh, it's really, really fun. And I think that this goes to show your history in education because I, I do always find people who run calls that have a background in education have such an exacting and clear to follow approach very classroom style <laughs> i always know i'm going to get you know a clear agenda beforehand and notes after and during there's going to be someone to kind of 
push along the conversation or curtail it when necessary, or it's just always very well run. So for those of you interested in research, I highly recommend both of those tools, um, which we'll link to in the show notes. And you just have awesome access to a lot of what is happening in the world of academia. As someone who comes from an academic research background, I love when we get to talk about published papers. Uh, I'm sure you do as well. And I know that you have, aside from the research call and the Discord server, both focus on education, publishing, academia, all of that good stuff. You also have the Summer Esports Conference, the K-12 Esports Networking Group, and gaming nonprofits like the Varsity Esports Foundation, support for gaming nonprofits like the Varsity Esports Foundation, Wiggy, Latinx and Gaming, um, so on and so on. So you are doing a lot. <laughs> We're definitely going to link to a lot of that stuff in the show notes, but I just say all of that to give some of the audience a little bit of context um, for what you do. And with that in mind, my first question comes straight from you, uh, which you so kindly sent over some topics for today's show. Like I said, you can tell you come from academia. Cause you just <laughs> <laughs> I also oh, love yeah. color-coded spreadsheets, so right. it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is my kind of type A personality for sure. Um, but could you tell us why esports should be part of higher education? What opportunity it offers universities? I know you had mentioned some research from Nico Bassam uh, as part of the answer. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. But why should esports be in higher ed? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this is a question I actually do get a lot from educators and schools who are kind of interested in it, but you know, there's still kind of that outdated perception of, isn't it all just playing video games in your basement and eating Cheetos and drinking Mountain Dew? And um, sometimes it's it, that. Yeah, yeah, sometimes exactly. it is that, but it's also so much more. So um, especially in education, um, you know, whether that's K-12 or high ed, we've seen esports be an incredible community builder. And it really allows students not only to have voice and choice in how they're learning and how they're participating in school activities, but also allows them to find their tribe, you know, and to be a part of a community that is doing things and is passionate about something that they're already passionate and they love, um, you know. And so we have a, a ton of examples just from from both higher education and K-12. Um, you know, one of our really good friends, Kyle Berger, down in Grapevine Colleyville in Texas, you know, he talks about how their K through 12 program, 70% of the kids that are involved in it weren't involved in any other extracurricular activity on campus. Um, and then you mm -hmm. also have, you know, like 10% of their program, I think he said, are students who are on the spectrum who maybe didn't feel like they could be involved in other activities um, or didn't feel comfortable in those activities. And so to me, that is the, the biggest primary driver of why schools need to be involved in this, because it is meeting the students where they are. It's something that they're already passionate about, something that they are doing on their own without anybody telling them that they have to. And schools, both K-12 and high ed, can really provide that foundation and can provide incredible structures to make sure that as these students are participating in these activities that they're passionate about, that they have that social and emotional learning background, that they understand diversity, equity, inclusion. They understand how to win well, as well as how to lose well. Um, so it's an incredible opportunity for any educational institution to provide that structure and those good guidance um, and, you know, activities and processes and systems in place, but also allow the students to do something that they love and they're passionate about. 
active. That's really neat. Are you, when you talk about esports in school, are you talking about both kind of clubs where they might play games for entertainment, games for fun, and uh, games specifically developed for education? Or are you, are you, do you focus more on one than the other? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on where the program wants to go. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, we'll talk a little bit later probably about Girls Who Game, but that utilizes Minecraft for education. And, um, yeah. you know, Minecraft has actually built in some esports competition activities, and we do that with our Girls Who Game program. So, that is one of the programs that I would say, you know, yes, a lot of people play it for fun and because it's just really mm-hmm. cool. And, you know, the, the creatures make funny noises, but, (laughs) um, you know, there's also a learning aspect to it. There's, you know, you use bone meal to help your plants grow better and, um, the interaction between the different kinds of materials and, um, you know, learning about, uh, economics even as far as like diamonds and and things like that. (laughs) So, so there is definitely that aspect, but, um, you know, most of the time when people think about esports, just, you know, kind of, in big capital letters, that is more focused on the recreational games that are very, very popular in the mainstream, that are very popular in the professional esports scene, but bringing that to a high school or a collegiate or maybe even a middle school level mm-hmm. um, and having those interactions. But you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Lindsay, because it's it's such an important piece of it too, is that there are so many learning opportunities there. There's teamwork, there's a collaboration, there's strategy, um, there's analytics, there are, you know, the logistics of pulling together a huge event. Those are all things that can serve those students in, you know, their future educational career as well as their professional career. Absolutely. I think that's that's such a good point because I come from a traditional sports background as many of our longtime listeners know. Um, But I, I do find that a lot of the same things that I was taught in traditional sports are can be very well applied into, as anything, well-structured, well-run, encouraging and inclusive esports programs. I think that that's absolutely true, that that kind of teamwork, that kind of collaboration, quick thinking, fast decision-making, all of that uh, can be learned just as well in a virtual world as it can with a a sports team. Uh, So I think it's it's really great, especially for um, neurotypically diverse students, like you mentioned earlier that yeah. is now and these possibilities from these schools. And to that end, how have you seen the interest grow in your time, you know, first as someone who is who is in the technology field and then as someone who's an educator and now as someone who works in education technology and that overlap. What have you seen in the growth? And I I was originally just going to ask about the university level, but I'd love to hear how you've seen all levels of education grow and incorporate this more and kind of the change you've seen in the medieval in your career the past five, 10 years and the interest levels and how schools are incorporating it. What's that been looking like? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I would say that there was definitely a, a growing interest. It was growing. It was becoming more popular. We see the data and the numbers behind that. I, I would venture to say that, you know, the 
the events of the past two years have actually encouraged that growth and been even more of a catalyst for that growth because so many, you know, in-person sports, like what you were just talking about, Lindsay, they weren't able to safely compete. They weren't able to safely be together and, you know, get that close contact that you often have with traditional sports. And so esports really allowed schools to keep students involved. It allowed students to make sure that they had connections, that they had people that they could play with, that they had Mm -hmm. um, activities, that there was, you know, something scheduled to look forward to. And so we really saw a lot of the virtual esports programs just light up and and even more leadership at, um, you know, whether that's at a school district level or whether at um, an administration level for a college, they recognize the fact that, okay, everything else is down right now. What can we do to get these students motivated, involved, encouraged, um, you know, keep them together and keep their spirits high? And so esports really uh, facilitated that for a lot of schools. So we saw an uptick in interest there. And now that we're starting to um, kind of figure this whole like mask vaccine six feet apart thing, you know, and and being able to have safer in-person events, we're seeing it just continue to grow. Like, you know, it didn't stop or slow down coming back into person. And so we've seen a lot of schools that are very interested in that. But I'm really encouraged by the fact that so many schools are starting to recognize that there's more than just community and it's more than just having fun. Um, I actually, uh, I think I've talked with you about this before, Lindsay. I call it, I need to like trademark this thing, but I call it the esports engagement pyramid um, is kind of my theory. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, at, at that base level of the pyramid, you've got community involvement and collaboration and just, you know, building that those ties to the students themselves and to the schools. Um, and that's great. And if that is the level that most school programs stay at, that's still a huge benefit and has so many of those uh, other aspects that we were talking about. But I feel like then there's the second level of adding in curricular and academic achievements. You know, let's educate these students on how can they get a job in this industry? How can they stay and actually support themselves and make money doing something that's they're passionate about? And it and it doesn't have to just be esports. Um, we actually see the majority of, um, you know, and this is kind of transitioning into the college question that you asked, Lindsay, as far as you know, we see courses, certificate programs, degree programs around esports business management or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, AV setups or um, just different aspects so that it's not purely esports. It's where you're taking those other um trainings and education that you get from being an HR person or a payroll person or a physical therapist or a management um, trainee, you know, you can bring those into the esports industry. And so I'm super excited that schools are starting to recognize that and actually build out that curriculum and, and also recognize that it can be a revenue stream for the schools because that's a new program that not every school has and can attract students to them. Um, and then the top of the pyramid is like you talked about earlier, research, you know, just the academic rigorous research around esports. Um, you know, much like back in the 70s and 80s, there was this really groundswell of research around traditional sports to help mm-hmm. make it safer and healthier for the athletes. We're starting to see that now as well for esports. I do think you should trademark the pyramid. Uh, so it's a great idea. I think that you should spread the pyramid far and wide. 
because uh, I think that that's a very kind of unique and visual way of understanding what the whole thing, what the whole ecosystem looks like in education. Uh, following on that, are there any, I, I asked this because I wrote actually early on in the pandemic, a an op-ed that never wound up getting published about using Discord for after school activities and how even physical activities could be worked in. I had this whole thing about competitions via Discord and all of this, all of this stuff that could, I thought was a way to help students in schools modeled on some other programs that I read. Anyways, are there any platforms or technologies out there already that you're, you're kind of seeing and thinking, wow, this is definitely a great thing for schools. I know you already mentioned Minecraft, but any other things, any other tools that gaming has brought us, like Discord or any even Roblox, all of that stuff. What tools are out there that you are really excited about that have been really easily translated into the education space? That's a great question because there are a lot <laughs> um, and it, it's difficult to name a couple. By the way, I want to read that op-ed that never got published, <laughs> so send it to me. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Discord and that is a great tool um, as long as the students are of a certain age. You know, if they're under, I think it's like 13, you know, it's it, it's very difficult for them to utilize that. I know with the Girls Who Game program, we've used Microsoft Teams. Um, I know that there have been, Whoa. you know. Yeah, there, there's just been That's some other platforms as well. Yeah, Definitely. And most schools have access to it. So it's something that, um, you know, can be monitored by the school officials, make sure that um, everyone is being, you know, uh, safe and inclusive in their language and everything. Um, you know, I would just say there's, oh gosh, there's a ton of them. Um, we're seeing more and more um you know, devices actually too, that are trying to help gamers come out that, you know, Microsoft has their accessibility controller um, that just makes sure that all students can be involved and can play. Um, and that's the great thing about esports too, is that it's, you know, you don't have to be the tallest kid in the room to play it. You don't have to be hey. the strongest or the fastest. <laughs> So um, it's just wonderful to be able to be inclusive to as many people as possible. Uh, I would say, you know, Roblox, we've seen some really cool and interesting adaptations, some new um, programs being built within the Roblox platform. So I'm kind of keeping my eye on that a little bit. Um, you know, we also want to make sure that any tools that are out there that help the students learn about digital literacy, um, you know, at, at Dell, we actually, some of my amazing colleagues have built out some incredible digital literacy tools. And that's important in gaming and in esports, as well as just in their normal educational outlook. So um, I would say, you know, there's always more tools coming out. Um, AR, VR is going to be pretty big, I, I think, once... Once we get some of the logistical issues figured out, I think, yeah, mm -hmm. ARVR provides so many great learning and immersive opportunities. So, um, yes, those are just some of the things I'm keeping my eyes on. Very cool. So we've talked a lot about kind of, I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of the K through 12 stuff. And this is something that you briefly mentioned about college programs that are starting to create disciplines or create majors or certificate programs that are in esports. But I want to talk a little bit about the the pathway right after college or right after high school, so when you're choosing a college, and then right mm -hmm. after college when you're actually in the job market. So that kind of pipeline of those three little mm -hmm. steps, and there's obviously a much longer pipeline through there. Um, 
But how have you seen the change in schools and what have you seen that makes you excited about schools thinking more about how to incorporate esports just into that part? Uh, both kids coming out of high school looking for universities. I think that there's a good advertising element for schools that have esports programs. And then I think that once kids are ready to enter the job market, once they're graduates, there's a good uh, learning element of having the things that you might need to get into the gaming industry by having those programs. So are you having fewer conversations with schools about why we should do this? Because um, I, I think we both agree that it's a good idea for schools to incorporate more esports and uh, even the surrounding peripheries, esports management, event management, marketing, business, all of that good stuff. Uh, into their curriculum. That's the first part. Are you seeing, are you having fewer conversations about why we should do this? And the second part of that question is, are you, have we reached kind of a tipping point where you feel like finally there's a lot of options for students and schools are really starting to offer these programs? Or are we still kind of working towards making this highly available? Those are fantastic questions. I love that. Um, so to answer the first one, as far as, you know, am I having less of those why should we do it conversations? Um, a little bit, I would say, um, if I'm going to be completely honest, there's still a lot of, um, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to make it about age or anything, but there's a lot of the generations that didn't grow up with video games um, that still don't quite understand all of those different applications, don't understand that you can make money and have a legitimate career. Um, I actually was just talking with a public school district uh, Friday of last week and you know, showed the students and said, okay, if this is where your interest lies, then build your case for your parents, build your case for your teachers and say, these are the disciplines. These are the jobs that are out there available in this world. And here are some example job postings with some example salaries. So, you know, these are actual companies, not fly by night, you know, just started yesterday. Um, but then they also have actual salaries posted. So um, that's something that we definitely encourage. Um, so I would say it's, it's starting to get better. We're having more discussions around how, um, as opposed to why. So, you know, how do we implement this into our curriculum? How do we tie it with whatever makes that particular school or university unique? So you have, you know, some schools that are really, um, highly praised for their business programs. They're looking at it more from an, a business administration viewpoint and a talent support viewpoint. Um, you may have other schools that, uh, like, uh, New York Institute of technology comes to mind. They are incredible when it comes to health and medicine. And so they're looking at it a little bit more from a, how do we make sure that these athletes are staying healthy, that they're getting a good balance of mental, physical, and emotional support while they're involved in these esports programs. Um, so I, I think it's incredible that we're having a little bit more of those how conversations as opposed to just purely the why. So, mm -hmm. um, but but there are still quite a few why conversations out there. Um, but that's what you and I are here for, Lindsay. That's <laughs> so, right. <laughs> um, and then as far as, um, you know, how how they're working into it, what that pipeline looks like. You mentioned Nico Basalms earlier, and he is a fantastic researcher. If um, the listeners haven't gone out and looked him up on Medium, uh, a lot of his articles and research are out there on Medium, as well as the Esports Research Network um, and the International Journal of Esports. So definitely go out and, and browse through some of that content. But he has this amazing kind of mind map out there called Esports Related 
graduated professions. And um, I utilize it and give him credit as much as I possibly can, because it just shows this incredible web of different types of esports jobs, gaming jobs that are out there um, that people, you know, maybe don't even think about whether it's media or whether it's events organization or um, even, you know, journalism and broadcasting or even education, because you have to be able to train people to go into these different types of roles. So, um, you know, I, I think it's fantastic. We are definitely building the pipeline. I would say there's a lot of room for growth. Um, there are some incredible um, studies out there, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit, but that are documenting where are all of the collegiate programs, whether they're courses, certificates, degree programs, minors, majors, et cetera. Um, where are they at? What are the schools that are offering them? You know, what are the schools that are really ahead of their time in understanding that this is an industry that we need to be able to train students for and give them that education to to do these jobs well. So I, I think we're growing. I think there's still a lot of room for growth and I'm excited to see where it goes. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to know that the space is, that the education space is, has been more amenable to incorporating this. And I do think it's, it's not easy, but I think that the, I suppose the easiest way to get involved is just to allow students to start a club. And I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that a lot of universities are going beyond that and that administration is starting to get interested or at least to listen to folks like yourself when they talk about the good that esports and gaming can bring to the university. So that's encouraging. Uh, pivoting a little bit, we've talked some about girls who game, but I would love to hear more. We've covered some aspects of inclusivity thus far, but can you tell me a little bit more about uh, the Girls Who Game program, what you're hoping to do with it, uh, how you're trying to improve the game, bringing more women into the games industry, something obviously we care about at the Meta Woman podcast. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Girls Who Game was started by my amazing colleague, Katina Popolka. Shout out to the Canadians here um, listening. And it, it was just wonderful. It really stemmed from, you know, her going to different events or, you know, being involved in esports and education, but noticing that there weren't a whole lot of girls there. It was predominantly boys or, or those that identified as boys. And, um, you know, so she, when she would meet a girl or a, a female identifying student, she would say, you know, why, where, where are your friends? <laughs> like, why are you the only one here? And most of the time she would get answers back, you know, oh, they thought this was a boy thing. Oh, they didn't think that they could compete. Oh, they, you know, they just didn't think it was for them. And so that really led her to dive into the research and, you know, some of the research that we got, you know, less than 50% of high school girls know a woman in a STEM career and women are 50% of the workforce, but only around 28% of the science and engineering workforce. So those were things that we were like, wow, these are, you know, where does this come from? And the majority of the research that we were finding you know, really says that it's kind of that fourth through eighth grade period. Like there are a lot of girls who want to be scientists or technologists or, you know, whatever before fourth grade. But after fourth grade, it starts to drop off. And we've actually heard that in discussions with um, some of the colleges. Like I uh, had a conversation with someone around uh, that here in Colorado. And they said, you know, when when women start off in a tech degree, there's, it's usually like a 60-40-50-50 split um, between female and men in the technology degree. And then by the time they finish, it's 
it's very rarely over 10% as far as the class, the graduating class. So, um, you know, what could we do, uh, especially as a technology company and as a technology company that is very, very focused on making sure that women are a part of the STEM workforce and making sure that women have leadership roles within that STEM workforce. And so we came up with this program, Girls Who Game, that is focused on that fourth through eighth grade range to make sure that those girls understand that they have support. Um, so for example, it, it's really based around three pillars. The first one is that it's a girl-centric ecosystem. It gives them a community. It allows them to learn from each other and build that confidence and see that there are others like them that are interested in these things. Um, the second pillar is authentic application. So that's really learner-driven experiences in STEM, but also developing global competencies. So every semester when we have a new Girls Who Game cohort, we decide, uh, you know, as a group, what are the UN sustainability goals that we're going to focus on for this particular project? Yeah, it is really cool. Um, we we love exposing them to the fact that there is a broader world and that there are worldwide issues that they can actually help and make a huge difference on. So, you know, for example, we've had eateries of the future where they have to think about sustainability and clean water and, um, you know, accessibility and things like that. How are you going to make sure that um, people in wheelchairs or people with any kind of disability might be able to get into your eatery of the future? Um, so those are all very, very important aspects of the program. And then that final pillar is mentorship. We actually provide opportunities uh, via Flipgrid. There's another tool that's important in education, Lindsay. Um, but, you know, doing kind of that asynchronous mentoring, we, we pair the girls who are in the program up with uh, adult mentors who are, you know, most frequently women in the technology industry, whether that's from Dell or from Microsoft. It's a huge partnership with Microsoft. So shout out to them. Thank you. Um, but, providing that, you know, the, the, the old saying that you can't be what you can't see, we want to make sure that they can see women in technology. So, um, yeah, it's incredibly important. I've been a judge and a program mentor and, you know, all kinds of things for the program. Uh, we, we do build esports competitions in at the end of the cohort. So once they're all done with their projects that they're making, then we get to have fun and do an esports competition and a celebration. And um, it's just amazing hearing the feedback from the girls and seeing their eyes light up about the fact that other people like the same things that they do and that it's okay and it's cool for them to be interested in technology. I love that you include you and uh, sustainability goals. Uh, yeah. I, I went to I went to grad school for um, public policy management, but I focused in international trade and development. So I'm extremely familiar with all of those. Uh, <laughs> that was something that I I spent quite a lot of time on. Um, so that's, that's such a funny kind of crossover. That has been one of the most fun parts about working in gaming, right? Is that I get to cross over with so many of the other things I'm, I've studied and have been interested in uh, for years. So that's such a funny little shout out um, yeah. and what a throwback for me you said that and I felt like it's right back in <laughs> in my grad school program whoa I haven't, well, I haven't thought about that since I left yeah <laughs> And just like you said, I mean, that's that's the wonderful thing to me about esports and gaming. I mean, like I've been a gamer nerd since I was a little girl and just the connections that I've built and the, you know, whether that's just social or professional and, you know, the friends that I've made and the things that I've learned just from my experience in gaming have, have been a huge part of who I am. And so, you know, Girls Who Game and other programs, just getting students involved 
just helping them to understand that this is cool. This is a good thing. This is something you can be involved in and something that you can make a difference with. Yeah, that's very neat. That's your colleagues and the supporters of that. Um, very cool how holistic the approach is too. Um, that's, that's awesome. And another program I know you're involved in um, is the Good in Gaming program that you're doing with Team Liquid and Alienware. I would love to hear more about that. It seems like a lot of these programs have the goal of creating positive environments for kids to be able to learn and develop and grow. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear more about Good in Gaming as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, Good in Gaming was kind of a brainchild between Alienware and Team Liquid in saying, you know, how can we give back? How can we make sure that we're focusing on students and young people and helping them achieve their goals and their dreams? Uh, you know, whether that's going to work for Team Liquid or going to work for a gaming company or a hardware manufacturer like Dell or Alienware. Um, you know, so the, the basis of it was that we believe everyone should have the opportunity to pursue a career within the gaming industry in some way. And so really good in gaming tries to help develop that pathway in. And there are a few different elements to the program. Uh, you know, the first one is, is grow. And so that means, you know, no matter what your background is, we really want to be there to support you in a, in a broad mix of gaming, esports roles, et cetera. So there are a lot of different hands-on learning programs. There's actually a Team Liquid and Alienware internship program where they teach you about portfolio and career building, give you career advice, um, help you make those personal and professional networking connections. Um, and then there's the learn aspect to it. And there's actually this incredible series that they've been doing and publishing out there on YouTube, which I've shared in that Discord server that you mentioned earlier, Lindsay, um, and said, you know, hey, add this to your curriculum for your esports programs, whether they're clubs or whether they're actual academic programs. Um, but for example, you know, one of the recent ones was a day in the life of an esports team manager. So they interview the Team Liquid esports team manager and say, what do you do on a daily basis? What does that really look like to, to give students and young people that insight into, okay, do I think I want to do that? Or is maybe that role not for me, but I want to do something else. Um, and then obviously the compete, they host, uh, you know, Rocket League tournaments and um, a few other tournaments. There's an Alienware tournament series Discord server out there too. Uh, so, you know, making sure that you're tying the learning and the growth with fun. Um, and there's also some opportunities out there for scholarships and things like that. So just, just really focusing on providing those opportunities to young people who are interested in getting into this industry. That's so neat. We talk about the, the pipeline again. That's such a good way of inserting yourself early and in a positive way. Um, yeah. I certainly hope that more of those programs kind of spring up, although I think that this is a, this is a good one to start with for sure. Shifting gears just for a second, and this is something that you mentioned earlier, so now I'm extra excited to hear your answer, but is there any <laughs> research that you're especially excited about that has been published recently? What have you kept your eye on? What excites you? What's out there? Tell me everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how long do we have? All right. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> 
There is a ton of research. And yes, so, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, Lindsay, about and thank you for attending that meeting, but that we have that esports research collaborative every month. And there are just so many brilliant individuals, psychologists, researchers, doctors, you know, uh, coaches, directors that are on that call every month and are really there just to help build the community and to make it stronger and to help support each other in research and in studies. You know, we've had uh, opportunities come out of that call where researchers who maybe didn't know each other before uh, get together and they say, hey, I really liked what you said there. What other work are you doing? Let's collaborate on a study together and get it published. Um, Also, you know, we've utilized that group for help with study participants because um, you need to have esports players if you're going to be doing esports research. So um, being able to have those connections has been really, really critical. Um, and one of the the pieces of research that um, kind of came out of one of those connections, a uh, major shout out to Dr. Joanne Donahue and Dr. Seth Jenny and a few others who participated in that. Um, last year, there was an original research study uh, published in the BMJ journals, the BMJ Open Sport and Exercise Medicine Journal, Volume Seven, Issue Three. If you're curious, but wow. it, it was titled. <laughs> I may have you're it pulled on up it. on my screen. I may be cheating a little bit. <laughs> oh, but, okay. um... I was very impressed with that recall. <laughs> you said right. I would have totally used that. <laughs> All about honesty, all about honesty. So, um, but that study that they did was breaking up prolonged sitting with a six minute walk improves executive function in women and men esports players. It was a randomized trial that they did where they, they really wanted to see, you know, does physical activity while you're gaming, while you're playing esports games and competing, does that help or does that hinder your performance? And so, you know, they utilized a lot of amazing tools that are, um, you know, common or popular in the research industry to measure cognitive development and cognitive performance. And so, you know, they they had very rigorous outlined, well outlined plans for this research, and they asked the participants to, you know play a little bit and then maybe take a rest just with their eyes away from the screen, um, but not moving. And then they would ask them to play for a while and then take a rest, but get up and take a six minute walk and then play a while and take a rest, but go lay down, um, you know, and, and like close your eyes or something, have that supine rest. And so based on the study, they did find that having a six minute walking break where you were up, you were stretching, you were getting blood flowing, it actually helped and improved the cognitive performance scores. So it's incredible. And I really love that particular research because I think it's so critical that we have that kind of rigorous academic study that is showing the true link between physical um, capabilities, physical you know, just being mindful of your how how much you're moving your body and and what you're getting your body to move. So you're not just sitting at a screen grinding for 11 hours a day. Um, that's not the way to maintain a healthy balance and to um, maintain a sustainable career in esports. So I think we need to have more and more of that kind of research that provides those statistics and that respected scientific analysis that will ultimately help colleges and universities recognize that, okay, there is something here. We just need to make sure that we implement safe and healthy programs to encourage it. So that's one of my favorites. The other one that I'm going to say, and I know we've brought up um, Dr. Seth Jenny. Really quick. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, 
I would love to say that I am well aware that things like six minute walks would be good for me. <laughs> Just as going to bed early would be good for me. A lot of that happens in real life or not. That's a different story. <laughs> I was really hoping that you were going to say that the six minutes you find sleeping is going to be sick. I'm really good at taking like down breaks. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. It, I was really hoping that the laying was going to be as equal to the walking. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing, right? You make a hypothesis and then you test it out. What is really and the then true? You get really sad at the results. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I apologize. I just had to get that out there for all of the, all the floss out there like me, like keep their breaks laying down. <laughs> no, it um, is fantastic. Sleep is also a good part of a healthy balance. So yeah, I'm really good at sleeping. That's never been. <laughs> That's fantastic. But anyways, please tell me about the second paper that you're going to, to mention. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, so this one was actually published in the International Journal of Esports. Um, and again, we have Dr. Seth Jenny, we've got Dr. Nicholas Bassams, and we've got Dr. Joey Gariziak. And that one was an inventory and analysis of global higher education esports academic programming and curricula, which is a mouthful, but essentially it was a study that they did together to look at those worldwide academic programs that were associated with esports and to say, you know, how many of these are actually differentiating themselves as esports academic programs that are truly teaching students about esports, about competition, about the careers that they could have, um, you know, and kind of analyzing, you know, which which programs maybe just stuck an E on the front of it and said, let's go. Um, so it's an incredible paper. Um, they put a lot of work into it. They made so many great contacts. And the thing that I love about it, kind of to what we were saying earlier, Lindsay, is the fact that it shows you know, without a doubt that esports and academic applications of esports and preparing students for the careers in this field is 100% growing. Um, it is around the world. You know, we are seeing a ton in the US. We're starting to see some in the UK, European countries as well. Um, you know, shout out to my friends at University of Twente in the Netherlands. They do some amazing um, cognitive performance, like neural networking research for their esports yeah. athletes. So um, there is a huge growth in the academic space, both curriculum and research-wise for esports and for gaming and players to keep everybody healthy and to create opportunities for those jobs and to make sure that everyone has the skills they need to go into that industry. That is so great to hear. And I'm sure if any, any of our listeners out there are looking for any type of resource on what universities are doing and inventory sounds like a great place to start. Uh, with that in mind, now that we've covered the real world, let's talk about the metaverse a little bit. This is the Meta Woman podcast, and gosh darn it, we're going to talk about the metaverse until someone says I can't. <laughs> let's go for it. I just, yeah, I just wanted to ask you a little, like, what the metaverse means. You're at Dell, you work in education. So what does the metaverse mean as someone who works at a hardware and technology company uh, who is working on, you know, real world in education, what kinds of things are you looking for or looking out for with the development of whatever the metaverse is? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I love the way that you phrased that, Lindsay, because I've been thinking about this a lot because it's it's one of those things that 
everybody uses it, right? Everybody says metaverse as a buzzword. Like, you know, we're going to start seeing ads for potato chips in the metaverse just because people want to jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I love the way that you phrase that as far as like, what does it mean to me? Because at least in the research that I've been doing and, you know, the readings and watching videos and things like that, to me, it seems more like this concept of the metaverse that we have right now. Um, it it's not necessarily something new. I mean, gaming has been doing it for a couple decades at least. You know, I'm thinking back to the old. I, I'm going to show my age here, but like Second Life. You know, like <laughs> that that was one of the precursors to it. And um, you know, World of Warcraft, EverQuest. You know, all of these different really immersive. Um, you know. MMO games and, and things like that, they were creating this idea and this concept of virtual worlds where, you know, it, in those games, you were working and crafting and fighting and sleeping and building relationships for a fictional universe and for a fictional character. Um, and now I think that it's more it's becoming more a part of the well-recognized zeitgeist that, you know, is out there in the world today. More people understand it. More people can kind of grasp the concept very easily. So to me, metaverse right now anyways, is whatever is socially agreed upon, you know, just, just like, uh, you know, history and um, some other elements are whatever has been socially agreed upon currency, you know, that, everyone has agreed that that has a value. And so we're going to take it. And I think when you start to get into metaverse and NFTs and crypto and et cetera, um, there's kind of that sociological element to it of this is what everyone has agreed, these terms and the future of this is and means. Um, so, so I think a lot of it is just society and how society is deciding to view these things. Um, I do think that there's incredible opportunities. I, you know, my bachelor's and my master's degree, I got a, a good portion of those completed online. And so I was interacting in a virtual world, talking on discussion boards and, um, you know, doing those things with my classmates. And so I do think that there's an incredible opportunity for education to utilize that, to help bring together not only students that are maybe in different locations or with different backgrounds, but also teachers and, and not just you know, I'm your classroom teacher, but I'm someone who works in industry or I'm someone who runs a podcast or I'm someone who creates art and to be able to show and to teach those students all of those different things. I, I think it's an incredibly powerful tool. Um, I do want to make sure that everybody is kind of walking into it with their eyes open because you know, with anything. And, you know, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, you know, with, with esports, with gaming, there can be toxicity there. There can be, mm -hmm. um, you know, people who aren't being diverse and inclusive. And I think all of those things will still be present in a metaverse version of our world. So we have to make sure that we're focusing on how do we create better worlds? How do we actually bring people together, make things more inclusive and diverse and, take the lessons that we've learned from previous iterations of real worlds and metaverses and, and bring that together and just make a better place where people can get along, collaborate, work, communicate, and learn together. I like that idea of building a better world. I think that that's part of the reason why I, we're covering it on this podcast is 
The idea of the metaverse is very new. Uh, there's a lot of people who are throwing it out there just to throw it out there. But the problem is the people who throw it out there just to throw it out there get just as much attention as the people who are really trying to build an inclusive and wonderful space. So if not more, sometimes, you know, the early adopters on things and, and the early kind of diehards for things really wind mm -hmm. up shaping the space. And I don't want that to happen. Um, <laughs> we have seen that happen with things like like crypto technology and even before that social media technology where the, the kind of the early adopters, the early creators, the early innovators really have had a handle on shaping what that looks like. And mm -hmm. it hasn't had the most positive results for, for women, for people of color, for LGBTQIA, for other minorities. So I wanted to put that out there because on this show, I, I think it's so easy and I'm, I'm glad that you took the time to really think about what it means to you. I think it's so easy to write this off. Oh, it's a fad. It's a trend. And it is in some regards. Unless we talk about it, we're going to be out if, it, if, if and when it becomes a huge part of our daily existence. So I appreciate that you took the time to think about it and that you took the time to acknowledge that gaming already has a kind of metaverse going on. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Everyone else has to step in. Well, and if you don't mind, Lindsay, like one of the things that I just, you know, something that you said there made me think about this. Um, in the fact that, you know, that's why it's so important to me for technology companies like Dell Technologies, like Alienware, to encourage that diversification of thought and bringing in those other backgrounds, mm -hmm. bringing in women, bringing in people of color, bringing in different socioeconomic statuses, um, you know, just make sure that you are getting viewpoints and getting ideas and creativity from all of those different groups. And, it, um, you know, we have these amazing things called our progress made real goals, where we want to make sure that we're bringing in diversity of thought. We want to encourage all people to apply for these roles in technology, because if we don't include everyone in technology, then like you said, it, we're going to just repeat the mistakes of the past and not have those diversity of thoughts and opinions and not be able to help bring everyone together with the amazing things that technology can do. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I love that you said that. And it, it's definitely a driving force, you know, here at Dell and um, especially in the work that we do with educational institutions. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that as well. Just as a quick summary before we move into our last little segment that I like to do at the end of every show, we talked about how esports can and gaming can teach similar skills as traditional sports, can also reach neurotypically diverse students or students that haven't felt as connected, help people kind of find their find their community um, in schools from a young age on, which is really cool. You mentioned that there's lots of good tools out there. I if listeners want to, they can go back and in um, backwards, but because we talked about a bunch of different ones, which is great, and that you were also on the lookout for new AR and VR tools. Which I agree. I think it's going to be really fun. I I'm not necessarily looking forward to those as a tool to move things forward. I just think they're going to be really fun, and I think they're going to move stuff forward. But mostly excited for the fun part. Um, universities are getting more interested in in gaming and esports. There's still different types of uptake. And you're still having different levels of conversation depending on where the university's at. There is lots of good research out there. Unfortunately, laying down breaks aren't as good as walking breaks, which is just heartbreaking. Um, <laughs> and one that you mentioned that I think is going to be really useful is that the inventory on esports programs, which I will happily link in the show notes. The last thing we kind of talked about with building the metaverse and, and tech even in general is that 
including everyone, offering diversity in the community is so important. We can kind of see the results of what do what not doing that has yielded us thus far. And I just think that we can, I just think we can do a better job and all have a lot more fun uh, by bringing more voices to the table. Completely with you on that, and I'm glad to hear it's a priority on your end. So for our last segment, the moment of reflection. This is a question that I ask guests at the end of every episode to try to give you a chance to pause, reflect back of the things you've done. What is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? I'm actually so excited about this because every time I listen to your podcast, I look forward to this at the end. Um, so, so I thought quite a bit about it. And I think what I would like to tell my younger self is don't give up and don't think that you won't have any more chances. Um, and, and just to explain that a little bit, like I said, I was a, a gamer girl from when I was little. I played Nintendo. I played um, on 386 machines like way back in the day, um, you know, all the way up through the, the super fancy ray tracing and everything we have now. Um, and so I was very passionate about it when I was little. I wanted to be a cinematics artist. Um, and then life happened. I actually, I, I got pregnant in high school and I ended up dropping out of high school and I got my GED and then I went to um, college and got my degrees, but I wanted to get it in something that I knew I could support my family. And um, so I went into tech instead of gaming, like I was initially wanting to. And so I had kind of, you know, I, I'll admit I had kind of written off being involved in gaming. And um, then, you know, throughout my life, like years later, you know, a, a decade or more later, I got this opportunity to be at Dell as a higher education strategist and to be the gaming and esports subject matter expert. And so just because I held on to that passion, it was still something I was interested in. Um, you know, I kept it close to me didn't mean that it had to go away for my opportunities to be involved in it professionally. And I just needed to find the right spot where I fit in and I could marry the other skills and the other experiences I had had in my life with my passion for gaming and having fun and um, being a part of this wonderful community. So I think it would definitely be don't give up. And there's always new doors and new pathways to explore. I'm so honored that you chose to share that story. I think that that's a wonderful message. Um, that's, that's such a good reminder, too, that it's, just, it's never too late to, to start something either, to, to get back to what you love or anything like that. I think that there's a, a lot of rushing on a lot of ends here. No, it's okay if, you, if, it, if it takes you a little longer. Um, my dad always jokes that he didn't find his career until he was in his 50s. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, it like, what is it? You know, there's, I think Grandma Moses, like, didn't start painting yeah, until yeah. she was like 70 or something. So absolutely, mm -hmm. totally agree. It's a great, a great message. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for coming on. Where can people find you if you want to be found? Um, what tools would you like to share? Love, love to give you a second to, to brag about anything you're proud of or get anything out there that you want the audience to be a part of. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so definitely can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Danielle Rourke. I'm a senior higher education strategist at Dell Technologies. So um, give me a search. I'd love to connect and talk. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter at HiEd Danielle and it's H-I-E-D Danielle. Um, and I post way too often about gaming and esports. So if you're interested in that, uh, definitely connect with me on Twitter. Thank you so much for our listeners. Don't forget to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Be sure to check out the other Holodeck Media podcasts 
including Meta Business, for all the Metaverse finance stories you could ever want, and Business of Esports for interviews with industry leaders. You can catch me Wednesday nights in the Business of Esports live after show or on Twitter at LindsayPoss. And you can catch this podcast in your feed every Tuesday. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.